Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Blue Wire. Iguodala to Curry. Back to Iguodala. Up to the left. Oh, blocked by James. It's over. It's over. Cleveland is a city of champions once again. The Cleveland Cavaliers select Colin Sexton, Darius Garland. Here comes Sexton. Some rhythm. And he got it, young ball. Continues to wear him up. Do you know what the Cavs fans are calling the Darius Garland, Colin Sexton backcourt? What? Sexland. Oh, that's good. Welcome to the Chase Down Podcast, part of the Blue Wire Network. I'm your host, Justin Rowan. The Cavs' week went absolutely chalk. They won against the Timberwolves, lost to the Clippers and the Bucks twice. No real surprises there, but uh, also got some bad news with Larry Nance Jr. out four to six weeks. But we're going to keep things a, a little more big picture today. Going to have a lot of fun. With me today is my co-host, Carter Rodriguez. Carter, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing fine. Even though it's Super Bowl weekend, I'm, I I had a buddy ask me how I was doing today, and I just said, I'm just sick of uh, groundhogging my day through my 52nd consecutive weekend. That is exactly <laughs> the fucking same. <laughs> I know exactly how that feels, man. It's it's hard to even think that it is Super Bowl uh, weekend. I, my mind hasn't got there yet. I'm sure it will later today. But I would hope so. The game's in two hours. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, but joining us today is friend of the podcast from the GOAT podcast, Andrew Sharp. Andrew, how you doing, buddy? What's going on? I started my afternoon with Cavs Bucks today, so I was feeling great. I, honestly... I should thank you guys because I watched Cavs Bucks to prepare for this podcast. And had I not had that on my agenda, I would have been watching the Wizards Hornets game and the Wizards <laughs> lost by 30 to LaMelo and the Charlotte Hornets. And oh, um, it would have been really bleak. It actually reminds me before, before the season began, Carter sent me a DM out of the blue being like, I think I'm ready to zag. I believe in your team. And I hit him back and I was like, you know what? It's crazy, but I do too. I think they're going to be a pain in the ass for teams all year long. I was very in on the Wizards and um, that take died a quick and painless death within the first six or seven days. And it turns out the Cavs are the young fun team this year. Yeah, I do like that you considered uh, the Cavs getting walloped by 25 a mercy <laughs> it was i swear to god it was so much better than having to watch the current version of the wizard so i'm grateful yeah how, how difficult has it been to tune into the wizards this year obviously you said that you had some expectations for them i kind of figured they'd be a play-in team um i still think they might get to there um especially if bradley beal is still committed to the wizards and they get a little mm. healthier obviously losing thomas bryant really hurts but how difficult has this season been or are you just kind of callous to it all after all these years yeah i definitely think like my heart has calcified to the wizards and they don't hurt me anymore um i gave it like a solid two weeks where i was invested and watching every game thomas bryant did get hurt also just awful defensively and like up and down the roster there are a lot of guys like that where you're like oh like he's kind of good but then like objectively just like not a winning basketball player um and it is funny though like I, a week or two ago I was on a podcast and somebody asked me like what do you want out of a rebuild for the Wizards and my answer was like I'm not even dreaming of like a trust the process let's like bottom out and then be a title team in four years like that's I don't even know if that's possible right now, given like the, the lottery reforms and everything. Like it, it's sort of, you, you have to take a circuitous path and, and also like an investment in culture and the Cavs, if I can get to a place like two or three years from now, where we have a couple young players and some veterans who are bought in and like a good culture and just a fun team to watch most nights. Uh, that's all I can really ask for. I like, nickname tbd but i want some version of Sexland in my life and so <laughs> that's now like the light at the end of the tunnel for me well i i gotta say it's been a while since we've heard anyone say we just want to be a little bit more like the calves you know <laughs> like, <laughs> no that, it's surreal people that, weren't saying that when they won a title <laughs> <laughs> 
it is very true and and it's funny because i i know when we were discussing leading up to the draft um denny was a guy that we had talked about a lot that oh could be a really natural fit with the Cavs and um him falling to washington was a bit of a surprise i know you haven't you weren't that high on him coming in has he won you over a little bit so far this season um a little bit i mean Honestly, I'm still not a big Denny guy. I, he, the, my issue with him is that if you have a top 10 pick, you should be shooting for somebody who's going to be better, like the most likely scenario, it, it, or I guess the ideal scenario for the like lottery pick X is like he's going to be at least a starter and potentially an all-star on a good team. And like... Mm-hmm. Denny, I think his most likely outcome is being your like seventh or eighth guy. So using a top 10 pick on, on a guy like that, like doesn't make much sense to me. Whereas I think Okoro, I'm not really sure what to make of Okoro right now. Um, He's sort of like, there are a lot of possessions where he just doesn't touch the ball and isn't really like an offensive threat. And, uh, and that's okay. And there are some but, possessions where he touches the ball and isn't really an offensive threat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. And it's funny because I was coming to the table after like three games of like pre like three preseason games where people were like losing their minds and being like, Okoro looks like a stud. Like he's a guy. And so every time I've watched the Cavs in the past month, I'm sort of like, I, I, I'm looking for that version of Okoro and not seeing it. Uh, but at the same time, I still like the process of being like, look, we've got a top five pick. Let's take a guy who we think at least has a chance. Some version of his career ends with like several all-star games and, and leaves him at like looking like a really helpful two-way wing. I don't see that with Denny. Yeah, I, I don't want to make you talk about the Wizards too much more, even though they are your favorite team, because I don't think you want to talk about the Wizards. I don't. I, I'm here that for much. Cavs. So, so let's talk Cavs. So uh, as an avid listener and subscriber to the GOAT podcast, everyone should uh, should subscribe. Uh, you uh, Ben always teases you about your Cavs fandom, because I think your boss is a Cavs fan. And mm-hmm. every time you mention the Cavs, and why you're rooting for him. I think you you might throw in the chase down boys and you always just talk about your damn boss, <laughs> Andrew. But nevertheless, you do like you do like this team. Kind of what are your early impressions of this team uh in the macro view? Because obviously we are in the weeds. Yeah. So I would say macro, um, you guys are sort of in like the sweet spot right now where there are not many expectations. And that actually started to change like a week or two ago where they beat the Nets a couple times and like it started to like you look out at the league and you're like, well, maybe the Cavs are a playoff team. Like maybe they can just keep this rolling. And uh, and so I don't know whether that's affected the way you or some of your listeners are watching the games. But um, I think in general, the best way to look at this season is like, all right, whatever happens here is a bonus and we're still growing. and. The most important piece is that Garland looks a lot more comfortable. He's making quick decisions. Sexton looks like a complete animal and has turned into like a legit star. I, he's not a star yet, but like he, you can see that it's a lot more plausible now than it was two years ago. And, um, and I, and I think like, Beyond that, the thing that jumps out at me is you did have guys like Nance who were sort of shepherding everything along and like professionalizing everything. And what Nance has turned into is really cool itself because he's a guy a couple years ago, I was like, I'm not sure what his position is and whether he's going to be like a winning type player. Um, well, it's so funny there- with Nance specifically, we all thought the future was small ball five, learned very quickly that does not work. And yeah. then the league got resized itself to the fact where he couldn't, we thought he couldn't be a four, but then the league suddenly got bigger again. And all of a sudden playing a four seemed really valid for him. Yeah. And he's, he's was awesome in that role. I'm bummed that he got hurt. Um, but in any event, I, I just think like right now it's when I say sweet spot, it's just like fun to look at a team where it's like, there are good vibes because mm-hmm there are a number of the young guys that have shown enough where it's like actually exciting now to watch them every night. And then it doesn't really matter. Like, like I brought up the Cavs a couple weeks ago and Ben was like, well, like 
how does this lead to a title like a, a contender i heard that <laughs> I, I my head my eyes rolled out of my head i know it's just like who gives a shit really like they're, they're fun and uh i think you revisit the like what are we actually building to two years from now but for right now uh they're an enjoyable sort of random league pass watch yeah it, i I always call those second contract conversations and I, I feel like we rush to those so quickly right now. Like the goal for this season or my prediction coming into this year was 27 wins. And my hope was that by the end of the year, we'd kind of have an idea of what type of team they're building and that mm-hmm. they would be viewed as someone that has a good young core. And now with Jared Allen in the mix, like I, I think right now kind of your three foundational pieces would be Garland, Sexton and Allen. Um, Okoro, we're, we're still kind of waiting to see exactly what he can be. I'm, I'm very pleased with what he has been defensively, but there's just such a long way to go on, on the offensive end. So with that core, those three guys, to me, it kind of feels like they're, they're building a little bit of like Utah jazz East, um, with the, the two guards, six, one and under your, your center. Um, do you have any kind of concerns with that kind of, uh, uh, team building strategy? Because I, I know you liked the Allen trade. You thought it was good value, but in, in talking to you privately, you did have some concerns about what the next steps might be. Well, yeah, I had concerns about potentially paying him $90 million or whatever he's going to ask for this summer. But mm-hmm. at the same time, I'm not sure where else they would spend that money. And, and I think Jared Allen, like in the limited minutes we've seen where he's like, the guy and they're playing him for entire games. Like he was awesome against the wolves on Monday. And like, I think that's worth investing in and, and worth seeing where it leads. Um, Because again, it's like probably a four year deal. It's not the end of the world. If it's a slight overpay and you're the Cavs and it's like, Oh, well, we were going to overpay someone. And like Jared Allen is young and fits with the timeline. I wonder like, how how frustrating is it right now to have to continue to give Drummond all these minutes because he he's not a bad player but it like if I were you guys I'd be like look like let's just see the young like trio out there for 30 or 35 minutes a game why do we have to do this song and dance it it's a little uh it, it can be tough so the last two games against the bucks i thought they made some good adjustments where drummond was actually going out there and setting some screens and and not just like 30 post up possessions cuz those are All- what really drive you nuts also worth noting, the Bucs are like tailor-made to make Jared Allen's life not fun because they just play drop coverage and <laughs> that's it. Yeah. Right. Um, and, and we actually talked about this on the last podcast where I was saying I'm okay with it in the short term because I, I understand it. You you have to kind of make some short-term concessions to keep the value up, to keep showcasing him, and hopefully you can get some kind of a return. So it, it does suck. Uh, I'm glad that they've made some adjustments. They seem to understand they need to get more three-pointers up. They came into the season uh, trying to generate a lot of those looks and then went away from it. But at the same time, I'm just naturally impatient. Like, I, I want to get to the point where, okay, we find out what they get for Drummond. We, we find out um, w- what this team's going to look like if, if Kevin Love, uh, how he fits with those guys and, and just play the young guys as much as possible. So as much as I can intellectually tell myself, all right, we're, we're doing this for the long term. It's for the benefit of the team. I just want to get to that stage where it's just the young guys cooking. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's... There's a lot of those plays where they just put him at the elbow and like let him make the decision where I'm sort of like, why are we doing this? <laughs> and like, it'd be a lot more fun to see what Sexton can create, what Garland can create, but I'm sure a month or two from now, there'll be a different team and Jared Allen will be out there. Garland is also interesting because Right now, his shooting numbers are great. He's very deliberate in terms of the shots that he takes, and he doesn't really want to take um, – like, my question with him is, is like, how much more aggressive can he be? Because, mm-hmm. like, he's still small. Sexton is small, too, but, like, Garland, when you look out at, at the court, you're like, wow, like, that guy is a, is a little guy. And, actually and he doesn't like, really have the frame to, right. like, get – yoked like Sexton has 
Exactly. And so he's going to need to get a little bit more comfortable taking shots with guys who are like sort of in his face a little bit and taking more of those contested looks uh, because I think he can make them. Like one of the reasons I've been high on Garland since before the Cavs took him was because like he can score smoothly off the dribble and he can then sort of snake into the lane for the floaters and everything. But I just want to like if I were JB Bickerstaff and, and you get like a month down the road and the Cavs are sort of on the fringes of the playoff conversation, I would like him to go to Garland and be like, you're going to take 20 shots a game. I don't care how you do it, figure it out and like get those looks up. Yeah. I mean, here's the thing with Garland right now. He is shooting 46 from the field, 41 from three, 87 and a half from the line and has a below league average true shooting percentage because because he can't he won't shoot threes and he can't get to the line yeah and like when you're a small guard like that you got to do one of those two things yeah and i i hope that he can get there and and honestly like the sexton story is really interesting because it's it's like a lesson to all the internet takesmen out there to just chill sometimes because you know a year into his career he looked like a total chucker who was not really going to play efficient winning basketball and then he's just piece by piece built things out a little bit in a really healthy smart way and uh, and that's my hope for not only Garland, but like it's why I'm not going to freak out about a looking sort of useless offensively because it's like, all right, well, let's check back a year from now. Mm-hmm. Well, it, it's actually a right of passage for all Cavs young players. They have to show up near the bottom of catch all metrics and wins above <laughs> replacement and all that stuff. That That's just the way it goes. He, it's really, really it. important for their yeah. development. That, yeah. Uh, people who don't really know what they're talking about online <laughs> can go, look, look, you're, look at, you're at the chart. bottom of this. And, and, and then you go into the off season and uh, the Cavs coaches are sending them all the, the stats saying no one believes in you and, and, and getting that underdog mentality. Maybe, maybe that's really the key to the Cavs success right now. Um, Andrew, you, you're someone that you, you've been higher on Garland than Sexton, which I, I think is kind of a unique position to be in. What, what do you ideally see Garland being in the league? Um, so like what, what's the best version of him in your eyes? Yeah, it's the best version of him is someone who is, I guess, like Damian Lillard light. And and that's part of the reason I want him to be a little bit more aggressive, because right now he's already good. Like he does a lot of like helpful things throughout the game. He's a good he's a better passer than I expected him to be. And um, and he's like a, a good starter. But I think to like to become a star, you have to like really sort of put your imprint on the game. And that's not something I've seen from him in the like limited Cavs games I've seen so far this year. Mm-hmm. So, um, so I think that like all-star guard, Damian Lillard's a perennial MVP candidate. I don't see him getting there, but like, <laughs> <Me either. laughs> who, who do I, like, who would I want in a playoff series, like six years from now, Ja Morant or Darius Garland? I think I'd rather have Garland and that's like oh a lot God. of projection. That uh, is a like, lot of projection. Well, but it, <laughs> Cavs, here's, Cavs, this, our listeners are, are checked out. This is all they needed to hear. <laughs> I know. Well, and people need to watch more John ja Morant because he's really excellent right now. And there are a lot of areas of the game where I would trust him more than Garland, but like the, the lack of shooting is going to be an issue in playoff games. And I don't think that's going to be an issue for Garland. And so that's just sort of what I look to with guards. Like the most important skill you could have is an ability to hit off the dribble. And that becomes a lot more valuable than a lot of sort of like, like if, if you can finish around the rim, like that doesn't, that, that only takes you so far if you're John Morant. Um, so that's, that's my dream for him. Um, it's a, it's a long-term take and a long-term <laughs> investment. We'll see if he makes it pay off. Sexton, the reason I like him more than Sexton is because Sexton it just like fits the archetype of a guy who scores a lot of empty points and um, isn't necessarily someone that, that's going to be part of like a 50 win team, like a really good team. But I've like had to rethink that this year because he's been that good and uh, and that consistent. And I think he too 
as much as you want to credit Bickerstaff or the veterans, I think Sexton is a big part of like the culture that they have cultivated there. So, uh, so I don't know. I with him, we're sort yeah. of figuring it out. Yeah, on the last uh, on our last episode, I kind of joked that Colin Sexton won over the vets just like he won over the fan base just by being a crazy person, tryhard that has just like worked his way into being a useful player and a helpful player uh, on and off the court. And to that end, like that crazy work ethic is kind of what the Cavs are betting on. That's by all reports. That's what Isaac Okoro is. Um, And, you know, those guys might not always, uh, you know, be the greatest talents or play exactly the way you want them to, but what they will do is hit their ceiling. And it feels like the Cavs are, are kind of betting on that. I do want to talk about someone who, regularly does not hit his ceiling more and that's Andre Drummond obviously we talked about him being uh kind of a frustrating uh person to root for but he also doesn't appear to have much of a trade market um he's obviously on that big fat expiring 28 million dollar deal that's hard to find salary matching but what I'm kind of curious from you Andrew is do you think he is um a victim of perception and circumstance, or do you think he really is not just a winning player that uh, teams sh- should play for? Cause I've always been of the former. I think he basically doesn't play an aesthetically pleasing game, which people don't like. And he's never had a, a team with any kind of structure that really forces him to play the kind of basketball he should. What is your opinion on Drummond? Um, yeah, it's tough. I mean, Justin hit me up before we recorded and said, yeah, we're going to maybe talk about Drummond trades. And I thought for a second about like what Drummond trades could make sense. And there just aren't that many teams out there where I'm like, yeah, they're definitely willing to bet on like who Andre Drummond is going to be for the next several seasons. Um, and uh, let alone have like the, the, the space to carve out like $30 million for Drummond for the next couple of months. Uh, I like him and have always sort of been in your camp, Carter, where I looked at what the Pistons were doing and like some of the rosters he was asked to play with. And like, it just seemed like a terrible idea. If you're trying to get the best out of Andre Drummond, you're junking up the spacing and making his life a lot more complicated. And so I think that like he's somewhere in the middle between like a a big man that you feel good about paying 28 million dollars to and uh and just like a useless a lot of people talk about Drummond like he's a useless guy putting up totally empty numbers and I don't really think that's the case and and I think like even in Cleveland he's had stretches where you're like hey like there might be something here I I think the Cavs made the right choice saying we'd rather bet on the next four or five years of Jared Allen than Andre Drummond but like if I if if the Wizards continue to like kick the can down the road and try to win, having Andre Drummond on the roster would not be the worst thing in the world as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, that was one of the questions we got is if you thought he would be a, a good fit there. And I do think with Drummond, I think teams are probably just thinking about him wrong. You know, like I think really what you want, the reason you trade for Drummond isn't so you can pick him up, uh, win a ton of games and then sign him to a, you know, a five-year extension. I, you know, I was talking to Kirk uh, Henderson from uh, Mavs Moneyball about this because I think the Mavs make a lot of sense uh, as a drum and destination because they do have some dead or dead-ish money in James Johnson that they could send back uh, for and you know maybe one of their 5,000 chucker guards that mm-hmm. they could that, that they could toss in and he's like I just don't know about committing to a guy like that. I'm like you don't you just pay him on one plus ones and you pay you overpay on short deals where you keep his incentives high you know most people aren't going to meet aren't going to meet you at you know 25 a year for one or two year deals, but you can keep it, you keep his bird rights and you keep him on the hook. Um, and that feels like the way you, you handle someone like Drummond to me. If he is amenable to that plan, like a one plus one situation with Drummond would be awesome. Uh, I don't know if it's up to him, Andrew, honestly. My only thought with that is this was supposed to be such a good free agent market and so many teams like saved up money for it. And now there's just not guys. So I, I feel like th- there's going to be somewhat of a bidding war just because teams need to make a splash. And, and even like a, a team like the Knicks, it, it wouldn't surprise me to, to see them kind of offer a little more term. Um, uh, one destination that I've said, and I, I know it's been brought up uh, or reported that they have interest is Toronto because Toronto just seems to make the most sense because they can at least get off 
uh, Aaron Baines, who, who that gamble did not work out. I, I, I thought the Baines signing was going to work out really well for the Raptors. It just flat out hasn't. Um, only got another year on his deal so he can back up Jared Allen, maybe get like Stanley Johnson and some other stuff in there. Um, but it, it, it's interesting because I do think Drummond can help, but you're really better off when he's kind of your third guy. And I, I don't think he's ever really been in an environment where that's been clear that, hey, you are not the number one or number two guy. How about just yeah. ever playing with a, a really, really, you know, elite playmaker? I know that we've mm-hmm. talked about Garland, you know, taking Garland's big probably strides the best the, he's had. <laughs> yeah. And and the fact that, you know, you look at someone like you, you talk about places that the things he drives you crazy is it's the, it's the eating possessions. It's the aimless post-ups. You telling me he's going to do that in Dallas. Do you really think he's going to get away with that in Dallas? I don't think so. I don't think, I think, I think playing with a, you know, a true star is like, gets him closer to that ceiling that he'll never hit. Cause he, I don't think he likes basketball, <laughs> but with that said, like you get closer, you know, you put him in a, in an environment where he can be accountable. That's why it's such a bummer to be that the Clippers just can't, it's just impossible to make the money work. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I agree with you. And by the way, that, that exact sentiment has been expressed to me by someone with a front office who we were talking about Deandre Ayton and, mm -hmm. uh, and he was like, yeah, I'm not sure he likes basketball that much or enough to be like a star who unlocks like every last ounce of his potential. And then he said like, he, he's definitely looks a lot like an Andre Drummond type guy. And uh, that makes sense to me as, as far as like understanding why Andre Drummond has had the career he's had, but I agree with you. And I think like, like Justin, you say he should be the third guy to me. I've never looked at him as like the first or second guy. And maybe the only reason anyone has ever made that mistake is because of what he's paid. But like right. the idea of him just being kind of a rim running five who's a little bit more skilled than the typical rim runner would be like great for him. And I do hope he finds it somewhere like Garland is a, is a creative playmaker, but as I was watching the Bucks game, it was just like, they're like both Garland and Sexton are still sort of figuring it out on some of the possessions. And you compare that to what the Bucks are working with, where it's like fully realized guys who are in their prime and and make it look easy uh the Cavs are not there yet so maybe Garland will or maybe Drummond will go find like a, a core that's ready him on the Clippers would be kind of a mess like why do you like that idea I just think that they need uh some I think Drummond can be a really really elite uh you know physical big defensively with yeah. quick hands and like I think you know Zubac like as someone who I think that I know the metrics like, but just doesn't intimidate anyone uh, in there. I think Drummond does a much better job of that. And honestly, like the thing about Drummond that the sneaky secret that no one knows about Andre Drummond is that he sucks as a pick and roll big. That's not his game at all. Like yeah. he is not a dive man because he's actually not that vertically explosive anymore for whatever reason. What he does really well on is being kind of that garbage man. And like, I don't think, you know, I think that, with the Ibaka signing, I think some people were like, oh, well, they're going to miss Trez as a role man. Turns out not that many players in the Clippers are actually good at running pick and roll either. It, it's <laughs> kind of Kawhi and then Lou, but he gets played off the floor in, in, uh, in the playoffs. So I kind of liked his ability to just kind of be someone who seals, gets easy buckets, extends possessions. Like, I think he just makes sense for them on offense and defense, but I don't think it really works money-wise. So it's it, kind of a it, moot point. It makes sense if they had a point guard. That's, that's the real thing with the Clippers is it's just – Yes, he, he would fit there, but it, it's poor resource allocation. Like, if you're going to go out and get somebody, like, go get yourself a damn point guard. Yeah, but there um, aren't that many point guards that make sense. Like, that's the problem with the team like the, the Clippers to me, though, is there are, like, they need an elite point guard, and that's not gettable. Well, so they... <laughs> they have a fine point guard. They need an elite point guard, but they also, like, I, honest to God, watch them some nights and I'm like, you know what? Like, I might pick this team to make the finals. And I, think, win a title. I think they might. They're, well, they're awesome. They're really good, but like they should get like even a Rajon Rondo or a Ricky Rubio would be an upgrade over like legit 30 minutes of Reggie Jackson. And uh, like <laughs> Patrick Beverly is pretty spent at this point. Lou Williams 
is okay ball handling wise, but like if he's out there, he's going to take like 15 or 16 shots. Like they just need some sort of veteran. Uh, but yeah, I don't, I don't know. Like anyone better than that is going to be really tough for them to get. Yeah, that, that's my thing. There just aren't that many like seven out of 10 point guards or even 6.5 out of 10 point guards available. It's either like, you know, your, your bench point guard crew uh, like Rubio's really the only one. <laughs> I think the Mavericks are kind of happy to have him. Yeah. And, and if the Clippers are going up to like basically $30 million in salary to go get Drummond, if you're sending that much out, you might as well tr- target someone like Kyle Lowry, who might be somewhat gettable. Um, Andrew, you, you mentioned that you're buying into the Clippers. I am too. I, I think Ty Lu has them playing really good basketball. They just seem, it just feels better this year who else are you buying stock in that you you weren't necessarily as high on coming into the season um I mean it's hard to say right now because I I like I look at all of the contenders this year and there just aren't that many like there there there's no team that I don't also have questions about including Mm. the Lakers because I look at some of the guys they brought in and and some of the guys they let go and like their identity has changed in a way that's hard to pick up on if you're just watching them like blow teams out during the regular season. But I think they're going to miss some of the like physicality that Dwight brought and, um, and some of the defensive issues that like Dennis Schroeder and Montrez will present in like big games will be interesting for them to figure out how to solve. Um, I, I want to believe in the bucks. Uh, I think Giannis will be in a different place offensively by the time we get to the end of the season, because he's being asked to sort of get out of his comfort zone a little bit. And like the difference between Eric Bledsoe and drew holiday as crappy <laughs> as the rest of their rotation is like, that's going to be a big deal. And you look back, everyone's like, LOL, bud, the bucks suck. The bucks are overrated. And I was saying the Bucks were overrated all of last season, but like the games they lost to the Heat were still like pretty close games, and that was playing with like one and a half stars. And Giannis wasn't even playing like a star half the time. Mm-hmm. And so it was like if you now have uh, Holiday there to take pressure off of uh, Middleton and and Giannis, like if he could sort of figure out how to be close to the best version of himself in the playoffs. I think they are sort of, they're the team that people are sleeping on as everyone's like analyzing the new look Sixers and the Nets and this and that, like the Bucs are still going to be right there. I mean, I, I, I know that you're kind of with me, if I recall correctly, Sharp on the Drew is not as good as NBA Twitter says he is. Yeah. Train. Um, I feel like I've been, I feel like I might've been a little off on that one. Like, while I don't think he is a, you know, a super, super, you know, worth five first round picks. Like I do think that the way the bucks plays it play have given, has given him just a little bit of extra juice. And like, he makes a lot of sense there. He kind of just gets to bully opposing point guards yep. like on, on offense. And then defensively he's, he's way better than Bledsoe. And I, I know yeah. that people have always been high on Bledsoe's defense. I've never been all the way there. I just think he's got long arms and, happen to be playing in a good system in Milwaukee. Like you really feel Drew on defense and I'm with you there. Uh, are, are the Bucks your favorite to come out of the East right now? I think if, if I had to pick today, I would pick the Bucks. And by the way, I agree a hundred percent. Like I have had to sort of like walk back some of my Drew holiday skepticism, but I, you know what? Like I'll double down in, in the sense that like people were talking about Drew holiday in the same breath as like, uh, Bradley Beal yeah, and Paul George and some of the other guys who've been traded. He's not that level of guy, but he does a lot of helpful shit for a team that's going to be really, really good. And uh, and defensively, he he is pretty crazy on that end. So I'm excited to see what they can do, like with three or four months of developing a rhythm together offensively, uh, because like some of the offense they were running at the end of last season was pretty brutal to watch and like not something I want to experience again. And then the other teams in the East, like, I don't know. I mean, like, what do you guys think of the nets? Because I've changed my opinion like five times. I love them. Do you? you I think they're so good. My, my, my nets, my nets take is basically that I, I think they're going to be good, but I, I think 
it's going to take a year. I, I think it's going to take an offseason to go out there and get the right supporting cast. Like having Dinwiddie healthy, even just as a trade chip, would do so much, <laughs> so much good for them. Um, I, I don't think that they're they're going to come out of the East this year. There, there's just too many question marks, uh, especially in a weird year. I feel like I, I just stick with whoever has the fewest question marks. And I, I think the offense is going to be legitimate, but um, I'm just interested to see, even if they are kind of sacrificing and making everything work, if they're down 0-1 in a series, does that all fall apart? Yeah, I, I'm not worried about their psyche at all on offense, really. Like, I think that Harden is actually... Like, I don't know about you. It almost seems like Harden's happy not to be playing Harden ball anymore. Yeah. Uh, and, and I want to know who how was it's... lying. I want to know who was lying because I, I think he, he didn't want to play that way. Maury said he didn't want to play that way. D'Antoni said he didn't want to play that way. And Harden said he didn't I think Harden that way. was lying. Somebody wanted to play oh, no, that oh, way. I think what it is is I think Harden was lying. And, uh, or he wasn't lying, but he has since realized that that was fucking stupid. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. All three of them were lying. That's a great point. That's actually, that, that is the correct answer. <laughs> that was like the edict from on high was to play exactly the way they played. It was awful to watch. I'm really glad that we don't have to do that anymore. Every single spring, watch that offense fall apart. I do think he's been, it's, it's fun to watch him be the creator in Brooklyn. And, uh, and I think that role, that, that role suits him much better than like the, the sort of martyr ball that he'd been doing in Houston. I, my, my concern with them, and you guys have a lot more experience with Kyrie than I do, but I just wonder whether he is going to disrupt the offensive rhythm like when it matters. Because... Mm-hmm. I'm not one of those guys who's going to be pearl clutching about defense, but like they, they can get away with the defense they currently play. If the offense is at like an a plus level in the, the games they actually need to win. But I, I think that like Kyrie, he just goes through these stretches where he'll swallow up possessions. And then it, it sort of like reverts to ISO ball. It's exactly what happened in that first Cavs game. And uh, and I, I worry about that happening during a playoff series. I don't know, man, because here's the thing. Like, he might play ISO ball, but he's really fucking good at that. And, like, he kills you with that. I mean, he won the Cavaliers' title with that. So, like, I don't know, man. I just think we see – how many times do we see in the playoffs that you actually have to go cook mismatches? And I trust that Kyrie will uh, – at least go chase the right mismatches, you know? And mm-hmm. honestly, the third best defender on the court on the perimeter is going to be on Kyrie. Yeah. At all times. And like, I don't know. And and I go the other way on the defense where I trust that those guys are actually going to play better defense in the postseason to the point where they, that they only need a level offense most of the time See, i don't think that they can physically play good defense at this point like i don't think durant has that in him athletically right now and i don't think harden does i don't think Kyrie does joe harris might be their best defender like let, let def- me be clear i'm not saying good defense i'm saying <laughs> d plus like not getting blown off the floor yeah maybe i i don't know um and Kyrie, my issue is it's like all right you are a good iso player and like from a principal standpoint i want to defend Kyrie because i think there are a lot of analytics dorks who just have shit on him for like 10 years uh yeah. and i enjoy his game but I do have to draw a line when like you're taking possessions away from a Harden and KD pick and roll that is like unstoppable and gorgeous. And uh, it is just like way more efficient. So it, I'm, I'm just curious to see what it looks like in like big fourth quarters in the playoffs. Yeah. I'm of the opinion, either Philly or Milwaukee is going to come out of the East. Like one of the reasons I like the drew holiday trade is I think Milwaukee wasn't as far um, away from winning as people think. Like you, you look back to twenty eight, uh, twenty nineteen, and if Giannis gets a single free throw in regulation against Toronto in Game Three, like they probably win the championship. They'd probably go against the Warriors if everything happened the same way. And last year, I feel like Chris Middleton was the only one that was actually playing up to like the level he needed to play at. Like, I I feel like he was filling in as a good number two. 
and yeah. just replacing Bledsoe with somebody that's competent, someone <laughs> as good defensively as Drew Holiday that can actually take some possessions away uh, from Giannis when it comes to playmaking. Like that's one of the most encouraging things for me when I look at the Bucks is it's no longer Giannis playing as the Harden or Luca or Trey Young trying to run everything. Um, and I, I think that's a really welcome change. I, I, I think that's one of the smarter adjustments they made. I'm still really cautious about Coach Bud. I, I, I'm not a believer in him. Uh, we, we've seen him, him blow it uh, both against the Cavs and in other series. But uh, I, I just feel like they're really well positioned to come out of the East right now. From, the, on, from the onset, though, with this Bucks team, I have been pretty firmly on Giannis has to get better at basketball still, which I yeah. know is the take that no one wants to hear in this modern world. But like the fact that against, I know it's, you know, it's against the Cavs who gives a shit, but like, you know, the fact that he's hitting those six to eight foot jumpers that with touch, you know, that's the part of his game that he's missing. So if he's there, if he's actually there, then I think my pick goes to the bucks. But in the meantime, I, and while they're fucking putting, Chris Middleton on Kevin Durant as Durant just <laughs> un- un- unleashes a steady tor- torrential downpour of wide open mid mid range jumpers on him. Until that changes, then I gotta go nuts. That's very fair, and it is also um, you're right that it, like the Giannis aspect of what's wrong with the Bucks and the hundreds of podcasts that have been recorded like discussing that issue. The Giannis part of it goes like totally overlooked by a lot of people because he does need to get better and he needs coaching to sort of like bring him like coaching to let him know like what his best game actually looks like. And I don't think the Bucks have been very good at sort of guiding him in that direction. I do think they're getting there now. And to be very clear, one, I enjoy what sarcastic assholes you guys are about Coach Bud every year. And <laughs> I would feel great about like locking in the Bucks to the finals if not for Coach Bud's presence on the finals or on the sidelines. Because I think mm-hmm. like he he's slow to adjust. I still don't like the defensive scheme they're bringing to the table. And um, he's just like, I, I cannot believe they brought him back. I cannot believe they paid Giannis $250 million traded like 10 years worth of draft picks. And then we're like, yeah, let's take this coach who is clearly not the right guy for this team, but let, we'll, we'll just run it back one more year. But if they would have brought in Ty Lue, I would have felt so much better than him. Yeah. It's, it's frustrating, but you know what? I, I do like the Giannis conversation because it reminds me of like the NBA that I grew up watching where hey, this team hasn't been good enough. What do they have to do to improve internally? What flaws do do their star have that can be addressed? And like, that is just such a better conversation than what stars can they just add to overwhelm teams with their talent and uh, decrease whatever margin for error they have or or increase whatever margin for error they have. Well, I always said this about LeBron. I always say that the best thing that ever happened to him was losing the Dallas series because... Mm -hmm. Losing that series was really, I think, the first time he realized, well, shit, I had everything I needed. Yeah. And I still failed. And, like, he came back. Remember that first year after the Dallas loss, he added the post. And he murdered the league. You you just reminded me of something. And uh, especially with Andrew, you you being a takesman, I need your take on this. Okay. Who this has... means Justin doesn't want to address what I just said and wants to completely <laughs> yeah, change. Yeah, yeah. No. Sorry. In case you're wondering, Andrew, this is that no, is no, Andrew no. just not listening. You got hard about Carter. You got we the gears moving. I, I we agree are coming back to Carter's point. Just for the record, yes, because it is it is important. But yeah, hit me. Who has the better supporting cast, Brooklyn around their big three or Miami year one? Because Miami was starting like oh, Joel wow. Anthony and Carlos Arroyo. Like, I, I think Brooklyn. Yeah, yes. I, I think it's Brooklyn and it sucks. Like, it, well, it's that's so one funny. thing we don't talk about enough when we look back at that series. It is. It, and it speaks to the like take era that we were all living in and the way like the the drama that accompanied that team getting together because now we just like that that same story happens like every two years so everyone's just like oh cool like Anthony Davis and LeBron are gonna play together or Kawhi and and Paul George are teaming up like whatever and we just sort of shrug our shoulders but like those guys coming together in Miami in 2010 we were like well 
shit. So I guess the Heat are winning the next eight titles. Like, this is cool. LeBron just ruined sports. And nobody even thought to look down the roster and be like, Carlos Arroyo is playing how many minutes? And like Mike Bibby, I didn't realize he was still in the NBA. Like what is happening here? And uh, it is when you go back and look at those box scores uh, from the finals, that is LeBron. I mean, his numbers are wild throughout that series. But Mm -hmm. then at the same point, like you look down and you're like, whoa, this roster was awful. So I do think that Brooklyn wins like by default, basically, because they had like six guys who didn't belong in the league. Yeah. And I also think Pat Riley worship is part of why people don't address that part of it. Like he certainly did a great job of kind of rounding things out. But I I feel that that's that's why I'm not a believer in Brooklyn is I think they're year one Miami and they need to have an offseason to kind of round out the roster. Yeah. Well, now answer and- my now answer my shit since Justin took it from me. <laughs> so, what I would say to that, um, I don't have like strong feelings on LeBron embracing like the intricacies of the game and getting better and, and getting more comfortable in the post. Although it was fun watching him dominate in the post during that OKC Finals, um, and he did come back just sort of more locked in and better. But what all of this has reminded me of with Giannis and like thinking back to that first year in Miami is like, it is like lately when teams are struggling, fans on Twitter just constantly put it on the front office or the coach or whatever, and then start scheming like, all right, so this guy, like, and I'm going through it with Bradley Beal right now where people are like, well, it's just not fair to Bradley Beal, or it's just not fair to like player X the Warriors are doing it with Steph like every night. Like, can you believe Bob Myers has put him in this situation? This is like a year of his prime when like, I'm sitting here thinking, look, Bob Myers, they they've done a lot of stuff that I have had questions about and they should have done a much better job with like the margins of that roster. But like clay blew out his knee, but like a, a day before the season started, like what the fuck do you want the Warriors to do in that situation? And um, it's just a, it's something that I hope that we all sort of can wean ourselves off of in the, in the coming decade of NBA Twitter, because like the whole like star held hostage and victim of front office incompetence and having no role in any of it, like gets pretty tiresome. It's yeah. uh, it, it's, it's, I mean, it's the layer of player empowerment that, you know, gets, you know, moves into the toxicity that drives us crazy which is just, you know, everyone wanting to play GM. I do think the big biggest part of it still is just wanting to play GM. It's like, well, if I were Bob Myers, I'll tell you <laughs> yeah. what, I would have gotten Clay a better trainer. Yeah, and I, I wouldn't even let him play pickup outside of the games. Totally, totally. It's ridiculous. And that's that's part of the reason I want to believe in the Bucks because I think it would be a cool story for the league if, like, a guy was not like, all right, well, here's how I need to – strategically plan out my career to best optimize my brand and start winning some of these rings arguments on inside the NBA and whatever. And just like, fuck it. I'm staying here. I'm going to get better. We're going to make a trade. And like, we're going to try to make this work. Like that would be a great story to me. I do think the other big part of it is that people don't really want to talk about in terms of the, the rush and the, and the poor player, you know, X, debate is like the fact that these guys are getting good so much younger but we still have zero evidence that you can win a title as the best player of your team before you turn 26 like it literally can't happen or at least has never happened and i'm sure it's going to come for luca by next year like oh yeah like the idea is like like i don't know why that is the golden you know age cutoff no matter what your experience level is prior no matter if you started in the league when you were 18 or 22 it's like that is the line but it does seem to be the line yeah well it's an interesting dynamic too because one of the things that i wonder about is like does it affect people and you some of these young guys to be paid like 160 million dollars when you're 23 years old and like haven't won a playoff series and like luca mark cuban came out last week and was was like cursing out zach Lowe for calling him a whiner yeah and it it occurred to me that like mark cuban already treats luca like he's dirk and like Mm -hmm. luca has not accomplished anything close to like anything even like in the same universe as what dirk was doing for 15 years straight and so 
Um, it's not a shot at Luca, but it is hard for young guys to develop in an atmosphere where like everything, every whim they have is catered to, and they are sort of like immune from criticism. I think it's also true of like um, Ben Simmons, his first three or four years in Philadelphia, Trey Young, and uh, Devin Booker has slowly gotten better. So I, I don't include him, but like Carl Towns too. It's just, um, it's sort of a, a, an interesting trend that I wonder whether we're all going to sort of collectively f- pay closer attention to in three or four years. I, I think that's a really smart point. It's it, like I, I talked about it earlier where I was saying we are having so many second contract conversations already. And I, I just feel like everything is rushed in today's NBA, whether it be the amount of responsibility, like turning these guys into quote-unquote leaders before they're actually leaders um i i don't think that that's doing them any favors um one thing i, I one question i have b- before we wrap this thing up is what team would you say right now is the biggest fraud either a team that's overachieving and is going to fall off or a team that is underachieving and it's because you think they're fraudulent i i want to get your pick on that wow um Fraud watch. I should have come more prepared. Um, I don't know. My hottest take, I guess, would be that I don't believe in the Lakers. I don't believe in their role players. And I don't think that LeBron, a lot of people watch, and you guys are are big LeBron guys. To me, I, I don't think that he is like any better than like Kawhi uh Giannis like really five or six superstars across the league they're all sort of on the same level and I Mm -hmm. don't think that Anthony Davis is going to be able to replicate the shooting that he put together over the final month of the playoff run which like was really important to what they did in the half court and how they won any close games they had Uh, now granted like they didn't play many close games. I thought they got like a really favorable draw in the in the playoffs. Like the Nuggets, if you could have asked them, do you want to play the Clippers or the Nuggets? Like <laughs> 10 times out of 10. It's like, yes, give us Nikola Jokic and that soft ass defense. Um, so I that I don't want to call them frauds because that's like a full on right. hot take, right. terrible um, radio person thing to do. But I will say that, it, like, if you give me Lakers or the field, I'm definitely taking the field. And um, and I don't uh, like their role players. I don't really like very much. And the stars, I think, are just a tad overrated after what they did last year. Also, you hate LeBron. I've been listening to your <laughs> podcast. You fuck. You guys throw so much shade his way. It is bananas. Oh, I think man. I think the goat debate has broken your you and ben's brain where anything even like you're complimenting the lakers through gritted teeth on that last <laughs> podcast i know what you i know what you are andrew don't I, listen you, don't you hide from us I, I do not believe there even is a goat debate okay exactly. and so <laughs> i'm just like are you like i hear people quoting lebron's numbers and i'm like well yeah we play in the fucking juiced ball era like I, who cares what his averages say at the end of his career to anybody who experienced both LeBron and Jordan, it's not really comparable. The LeBron is really good. And so, yes, maybe there is um, a little bit of that resentment just, bleeding just, through. <laughs> yeah. Because I know if he, if they win this year, people are going to turn around and be like, well, see, I knew it. I LeBron knew is the here. greatest player of all time. We need to trust the data and his career like speaks for itself at this point. And I'm just like, ah, I'm sorry. Like, Jordan. You know what? I'm, I'm glad we're having this conversation on Super Bowl Sunday because it's it's Mahomes versus Brady to me. It doesn't matter if Mahomes gets as many rings as Brady. Like to me, he's just the better quarterback. Like he, what he's doing, like his highest ceiling is that much higher. And that's kind of how I, I feel about LeBron. Um, oh, but wow. <laughs> I listen. Jarvis is sick right now. I'm sorry. Oh, yeah. I, no. I, wanted to, I wanted to make you a little bit nauseous before you go and uh, enjoy your Super Bowl meal, whatever that may be. <laughs> I, well, and I feel bad because I know Cavs fans, like I said, uh, I've, I've said on the podcast, and I do shout you guys out sometimes, uh, and Ben always grows. Uh, almost as many times as your boss. Yeah, well, and my <laughs> boss is like a diehard Cavs fan, and he, and we've had the GOAT discussion, and he's like, yeah, you know, like it's, 
50 50 to me like they're both 1a 1b and it's really close and i'm just i i have to like catch myself in those moments to be like it's not close (laughs) and you're crazy if you think it is um but i respect the differences of opinion for sure you respect us you just think we're crazy (laughs) the the nice thing for me is especially with him leaving twice i don't feel the need to have those debates it's like ah that's just my opinion like if if you uh if you pick jordan or even if you pick kareem i'm not really going to fight you those are just kind of my oh no 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 if you pick kareem you're just a boring person yeah you you are a boring person you're annoying it it tells you are it tells me it tells me what type of nba fan you are and it tells me a lot about somebody but i'm not going to fight anybody on it um so well and and also if you pick russell you are especially boring and awful and uh need to have a better imagination no you're just wrong at that point like that, uh, that's, that's <laughs> what i will say just to articulate how i actually feel i think that jordan captured people's imaginations in a way that lebron never has and i think that's one of the reasons um that's part of what greatness is in basketball and i and it it drives lebron crazy that he's not adored the way jordan was and uh and so it's it's a, a fascinating difference between them i think lebron is hands down the most talented basketball player that has I, ever lived you, but, you know what andrew i do agree with you lebron did play in the internet era and jordan didn't so yeah i completely agree with you that's it, a good it, point that's it, a good it's, point it is it is tough to elevate the nba once it's already been elevated off of like tape delay and, and bring well, it to the, the star era which i mean i that's why jordan and like uh in hockey gretzky like i don't think anyone's ever going to be able to touch them because they came at just the right era that brought those leagues uh to the forefront so uh from a legacy standpoint there is no touching jordan like uh, i'm definitely willing to admit that while we're talking legacy and goats and whatnot um do you guys have frauds that you want to nominate Ooh, so I, I think Toronto's more fraudulent than I realized. I, I was still a believer that they'd be good. Uh, who knows? Maybe Andre Drummond's going to bail them out. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> or Chris Boucher. There was a lot of Chris Boucher hype for a little while there. Yeah, he, he definitely had his moment in the sun. Um, you, you know what? I, I do think uh, the, the bottom is kind of falling out for the Raptors, and I think they'd be better off moving uh, Kyle Lowry. Um, the other... <sighs> God, I, I still don't fully buy into Portland. Um, I, I know they've kind of fallen off now because of injuries, but I, I wasn't really buying into them as much. But um, Tor- Toronto is definitely the, the one that i am got my eyes on. I'm not willing to go there yet on Miami, but uh, my, my eyes are certainly going that direction. Okay, yeah. Well, the, the Mavs, if we're just naming teams that are bad, the Mavs are also frauds. Um, yes. <laughs> I was going big game hunting with the Lakers, but yeah. I appreciate that. I appreciate <laughs> that. that. That was a little spicier than I anticipated. Do you have one at the end, Carter? I don't know uh, if the Nuggets are going to make a Western Conference Finals again with this core. Great. That, see, that is that is that's a take, a good, I like that. <laughs> and I think that's a good call. I, I think that they they're... need to trade my MPJ for Bradley Beal last offseason. Yeah, no, I, I agree with Andrew Pull the on fucking this, trigger. Andrew, I, I was listening to a recent Go Pod and you talking about how everyone wants to make Michael Porter Jr. a trade centerpiece for a star. I, I'm not Here's... buying into him, like, Hold both on, from a health Justin, and how good he is standpoint. What I'm saying is it doesn't matter because the league kind of views him in this way. I don't think he has that Ooh, value. I don't know whether the league does view him that way. If they do view him that way, then the Nuggets should trade him. I think as it stands now, he's probably like Denver's version of Karis LeVert, where like Denver tr- keeps trying to have these like superstar conversations and other teams are like, look, we can talk, but you're talking about MPJ like he's an actual star and where he's not. So like we'll figure something else out. They may have to keep MPJ and bet on him and then trade Jamal Murray if they really want to like shake up the core and add a star. And I don't know. I just don't think you have to. I, th- I think that he's got just enough mystery box. And I think he has it through probably this season before his value Plums. If he does trade him, like yeah, uh, I, I definitely <laughs> agree with you. I'm there, with Andrew. you. <laughs> like all uh, I'm saying is MPJ. I think right now you could call if if Bradley Beal demanded a trade tomorrow, you could get him for MPJ. 
Yeah. And okay. the fact he's, that he's, he's, I don't no think the nugget, the thing that I don't <laughs> think the nuggets are thinking of, of him that way uh, and are thinking of him as someone we need to hold on to. I think it's a huge mistake and that team's going to kind of stagnate. Well, it's great because, you know, I've been watching more and more Cavs, um, very excited about the state of Darius Garland. And if the Wizards actually make that deal and I'm stuck watching Russell Westbrook and MPJ for the next three or four years, I'll just become an actual Cavs fan. So I can join more podcasts. Come in on the in. <laughs> the water is fine. Yeah. I, I really want to see uh, Mike Lombardi uh, defense with Michael Porter Jr. <laughs> and Russell Westbrook. Oh, my God. Oh, oh. that's, uh, yeah. I, uh, I'm hoping for your sake that doesn't happen. But <laughs> we can have all the GOAT debates we want, but there is only one true GOAT, and that's the GOAT pod. So make sure you guys are going out there and subscribing to that. If you want to support our podcast, you can do so by leaving a rating, leave a review, subscribe, unsubscribe resubscribe and help cook those books if you want to be part of the chase downs exclusive discord chat you can send a screenshot of that review to chase at gmail.com however you choose to support us we really do appreciate it big thanks to carter thanks to andrew thanks to all our listeners make sure you guys are staying safe out there and until next time go cat